Hey, good morning again, Grove Church. And um, if you are new and are joining, uh, just joining us, um, I will introduce myself again. I'm Charlie Lofton, uh, lead pastor here, and really glad that you're worshiping with us. We have we started a series in First Thessalonians the week before um, everything went online, and we decided to keep going with it, uh, just simply because uh, one to keep routines, and two because I think it's had some great messages for us during a. Uh, trying time because they they were going through a trying time through just kind of some religious persecution and some uncertainty and um, we see just kind of uh, how they were dealing with that Paul giving comfort encouragement to them Um, if you missed last week's sermon I encourage you to to look for it um, either on Facebook or on YouTube and look for that Um, it's a great uh, that first Thessalonians 3 was just a great encouragement I think to us and before before we get going, I feel like I need to address just a, a small controversy that happened last week. So apparently, at some point during the message last week, I referred to First uh, Thessalonians as First Thess, which is completely and totally normal in nerd pastor world. Like it would not even have crossed my mind that there was anything weird about that. And then suddenly, like there's these things out there like I'm trying to be cool or something, like that's just some sort of hip lingo. Like I don't, I don't even know what to do with that. And so I will do my very best today to always say Thessalonians so not to weird anybody out. But there is a better than 70% chance that I will say first this at some point. But I'm not, I'm not trying to be cool. I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm just not cool, so I don't know anything how to do that. So... I don't know if we've ever talked about this before on Sunday, but um, there was this thing that, that, that happened when I was in youth group as a kid, and it kind of became this thing that I just began to, to just to call the youth pastor prayer. And um, a youth pastor prayer is this, when, when the youth pastor is praying, but he's not really talking to God, he's really talking to the kids. So it goes something like this, dear God, just please help these kids to be quiet, pay attention, stop being like they are. Because, God, I really would hate it if I had to call their parents afterwards. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, so it's, you know, there's somewhat of a prayer in there. But really, he's, he's, talking, to, um, he's talking to the kids. And in fact, we'll just, keep, we'll just keep going with this just for a second. Um, there was a friend of mine in our youth group. It was our goal with one particular youth pastor to see how many times in like an hour-long meeting we could get him to stop in the middle and say that he needed to pray. And he would do that every time. And he would, his prayer was like that every time. Our record was four. We got him four times in one hour-long meeting to stop what he was doing and pray. And if my mom is watching, I'm sorry. Um, okay, and while I'm just, okay, just, just keep going here, just one more, one more, one more, one more little thing. And so um, the youth pastor prayer is very different than the senior pastor prayer, the lead pastor prayer, which you will hear in approximately 25 to 27 minutes, which is... Um, where it's a prayer, but really it's just a summary of what the message just was. Dear God, please help us learn and then just repeat the message. I try not to do it, but I do it every time, and I apologize. Why do you bring that up? I don't know. Anyways, no, because in First Thessalonians 3, at the very end, we get a, a, we get a picture of Paul's heart for the Thessalonians, and he puts it in the form of a prayer, and it's in chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father 
when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. And so he puts that in the form of a prayer. And I'm not saying that there's anything insincere about it. It was definitely a prayer. It's definitely an expression of his heart. But really, for the, for the, for the purposes of this book, it really kind of functions as a transition from the first three chapters, which were essentially just an encouragement from Paul. Um, he was worried about them. He got kicked out of there because of some religious persecution, had to leave sooner than what he wanted to. He was really, really worried about them, couldn't get back to them, and was just getting nervous, make sure they were okay, hanging in there under this persecution. And it says in the passage we looked at last week that when I couldn't take it any longer, we kind of sent Timothy there to make sure that you were okay. And it turns out you guys are doing great. And so he's worried about them. He's loving on them. He's encouraging them for how well that they're doing. And now we're kind of, kind of, kind of have this shift. And in this shift, he's kind of expressing his prayer and saying, hey, not only are you doing good, but these are the things that I'm praying for you. And in this passage, and just in this very short few verses, we're going to see um, just glimpses of everything else that he's worried about and things that he's concerned about with them. So you guys are doing great. I'm really proud of you. But if you want to get to this next place that you need to in your walk with God, here are a few things that you need to be thinking about. And so we'll see these starting in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And so, again, for the transition for us, as we're trying to mentally kind of apply 1 Thessalonians, I want to just back up the thing that I said last week. I know that this has been hard. I know that this has been a struggle and a challenge. Um, and I really am. I'm proud of you. I mean, it, it has been now... Um, from the time that things really started getting kind of weird and crazy and things started shutting down, it's been about 17, 18 days. And no matter what you feel right now, no matter how hard it's been, no matter the struggles that you may be having, I want you to know that you've made it. You're here. You've made it those 18 days. And we're going to hang in there together, and we're going to trust God, and we're going to make it another 18 days. And I want you to feel encouraged about where you are. But at the same time, I think Paul here for the Thessalonians and ultimately for us has a challenge. We don't just want to simply survive. I think God has another level that we can get to in our, in our personal spiritual walk with our connection with him. And um, he's got some great encouragement here for us. And so we're going to look at the first half of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting with verse 1. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. So again, we see this heart of Paul's like, you're doing great. You're hanging in there. You're staying strong. You're doing all these things. I'm proud of you. But they're... they're you, you, you can keep going, you, you, you can do more, you can, you can express this love and this connection that you have with God, it can, go, it can go deeper, it can get better. And I love this phraseology, he's just kind of setting up this table, setting the table here for all the, 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 the commands and encouragements that he's going to give them. He says it this way in verse 1, describing it to them, he says, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. And I love the way that he says that because I think there's an important point here for us. And we'll say it this way. Is that we live to please God, not to earn his acceptance. We, we live to please God, not to earn his acceptance. And so, um, 
sometimes we just get into this mindset that says that I have to obey God's commandments. I have to do all of the right things or otherwise God's going to be mad at me. There's going to be some damage to my relationship. There's going to be um, some sort of... Um, he's going to be mad, he's going to be judgy, he's going he's to hit some smite button, he's going to do bad things to me. Like, like, there's, like God is angry, and, and if I don't do everything right, his harsh judgment is going to come. And the reality of it is, is that our sin does separate us from God. But he looked and he saw that and had such compassion and love for us that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. He did that completely and totally free. The gift of his salvation is completely and totally free. And we accept it completely as a gift. And there is nothing that we did on the front end to earn that gift. And there's nothing that we have to do on the back end to keep the gift. It is a free gift given to us by God. And we need to feel that, believe that, accept that, that we are completely and totally secure with God because of Jesus Christ. I do not have to have anxiety that if I don't do the right things that somehow God is going to cut me off. That somehow that, that, that I'm going to be under some severe judgment from Him. In fact, that is not why we live for God. And for some of you, the way that I phrase this, that to please Him, not to earn His acceptance, that may feel like, may not feel like a big difference, but I assure you that it's a, it's a huge one actually. There's nothing that you are earning by being who God has called you to be. He has loved you unconditionally. He has forgiven you unconditionally. He has made you right in His eyes. He has made you an adopted son and daughter of His, completely separate from anything that you have done or will do. You are completely secure. And now we look at these commands and it's like, and some people with a bad attitude would be like, well, then why do I got to do, uh, do anything? I don't have to do anything, I don't guess. Which is, a, which is an incredibly just kind of distorted way of viewing it. To say that God has showered you with this overwhelming, unconditional love. Therefore, I guess that means I can just do whatever I want to do. Which, which, is just, which is just a very backwards way of thinking. Because the reality of it is, if you want to have a relationship with God long term... You're going to have to get settled on this and make sure that you recognize and understand and live at peace with the love of God that you have through Jesus. And now the things that I do, I do because I love him, because I recognize his love, because I do want to please him. I do want the God who has given me everything. I want him to be pleased. I want to have a good relationship with him. And so I, I'm not in the fear of losing anything, and I don't believe that I have to earn anything. I do it because he loves me, and I love him. And I believe the, the, meta, the, the metaphors and the illustrations of this, they're just everywhere, but obviously is always the best one is parenting. Um, I hope, I hope that my awesome three daughters, um, I hope that none of them feel like that they are having to earn my affection by obedience. I hope that the way that they feel is, I live under a loving dad who has given me so much and because of that, when he asks me to do something, when he tells me to do something, I want to do it because I love him. And I assure you, if you want to have a long-term, 
healthy, growing, vibrant relationship with God. We're going to have to switch from this. I'm motivated out of fear. I'm motivated by this desire to earn something. That instead, I am motivated by a desire to express and show my love for a God who has loved me. And so as Paul's describing this again, he says, you know, you're doing this in order to please God. And so now he's going to describe a couple of things that's important for them based on the report that he's gotten back from Timothy. He's gotten a report back from Timothy that they're doing well, but then there's just kind of a comma. Hey, they're doing pretty well, comma, but there's a few things that we need to address. And we're going to look at two of them here today, starting in verse 3. Verse 3, chapter 4. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. Sanctified is fancy Bible talk for just getting better, become perfect, become more holy, just to kind of become better in your character, okay? So it's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you, sh- that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. And so I'll kind of give you a two-word two summary, I think, of what Paul's saying here, and then we'll kind of explain a couple things. So we were trying to live to please God, not to earn his acceptance, And one of the things that we need to do, very simply said, is to live pure. So I want to be pure. Now, as I was reading this passage, my guess is is that some of you are kind of looking around the living room and saying, "Um, uh, do I I need to send the kids out? What's going on here? This seems pretty intense. And even as I was studying for it this week, I was just like, man, some of the things to kind of talk about here just seem better for like a face-to-face conversation and certainly seem better for a conversation that is not broadcast in your living room with your three, four, five-year-olds in there. And so I get that, so don't be nervous. But I do think that there are some bigger picture principles that we can gather from this um, without having to delve into too much specifics. And so he's talking about sexual morality, uh, but he also says something kind of uh, big picture. You should learn to control your body, which, 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 which is, which is a, a good thing. It says that each of you should learn to control your body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust who do not know God. And so this idea that I need to learn to control my body, I think is an important principle. And it actually can be applied um, in, in, in a whole lot of different ways. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about this broadly, but I think the, the specifics for how it applies to you, I'm going to trust that to God and the Holy Spirit kind of moving through the camera. Because there's some things that we do. There's some things that we do to kind of satisfy needs that our body has that um, really just aren't appropriate and ultimately, I would say, are destructive. And so for me, the thing I want to talk about is, as I made a really, in hindsight, what feels like a really, really bad decision a couple of weeks ago, right before all of this went down. So it was like, really, it was the Tuesday before everything started shutting down. I agreed to get into a weight loss competition with a couple of guys from the church. And uh, it's, it's a terrible idea. It's one of the worst decisions I've ever made in my life because I am a comfort eater. 
I'm a comfort eater. Food is comfort to me. I, 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 when I get nervous, when I get stressed, there's nothing better than just an overwhelming bag of salty, cheesy carbs. Can we just take a second right now? Salty, cheesy carbs. Okay, I'm back. So anyways, and so under normal circumstances, I battle with that. And obviously then I have a, a weight problem that comes with that. And so I'm battling that. And I was like, oh, okay, this is a good, this is a good opportunity. Um, it's going to be for the next 30 days. This is going to be really good. I've got a wedding that I've got to do at the end of the month. I need to get into my skinny suit. This is just going to be, this is going to be a great opportunity for me for 30 days, right? But then all of this happens. And so now I spend a lot of my time quarantined where all the food is. I'm in a high-stress situation. Um, recently, Heidi got a bag of our old Halloween candy out and put it in the pantry. And everywhere I look, there's just these things. And, my, and, 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 I, and, I, and I want it. I want it because that is where I'm going to get, that's where I get comfort. That's where I get, that's where I get okay. And just even saying that out loud I'm glad no one's in the room, really. But even just saying it out loud, knowing that you're here, it just sounds so terrible, doesn't it? This addiction that I have to looking to comfort and joy in some place that really, one, only satisfies temporarily, and two, is actually doing long-term damage to me that outweighs the short-term benefit that I get from it. And so, in fact, I say it was the worst time for me to make that decision. It probably was the best one. It was probably best to go ahead and have a couple of days or just kind of have this mindset because ultimately I could sink into something, uh, a, a really deep, not depression, but getting close to it because the more and more you kind of rely on those kinds of things for comfort and peace, the less they satisfy and the more then that you do it and you kind of get into a bad cycle. And so I doing something that I think that is going to help me that is in fact slowly destroying me. And sexual immorality is the same way. There's lots of things that we do to our body. So someone, uh, someone at the office, you're at the office and you see someone who's just a little bit nicer to you than your spouse is. And you begin to think, I deserve this. I need this. I want this. It feels natural. Someone hanging out by themselves late at night looking at their computer and they go to some place that they're not supposed to. I deserve this. It feels natural. I want it. And what he's saying is this is the way that people who don't know the Lord make decisions about what they're going to do with their body. And I'm telling you, we need to be making different types of decisions. Different types of decisions that say... I'm going to live a life that is pleasing to God and I'm going to do things based on what God says is right, what God says is appropriate, not what feels right to me. As long as we are making decisions about what we do based on what I think feels good, what feels right, what feels natural, and what I think in that moment I deserve, we're going to continue to make bad decisions. And ultimately what we need to do is we need to look to the designer of life. The designer of life who says, these are the things that are appropriate. These are the things that are healthy. And I need to trust that and overcome these things that I have, these desires I have in me to do something that feels very normal and natural, but in fact is undoing me. 
And so, again, I think that the high-stress situation that we all find ourselves in right now is going to bring a lot of those destructive ideas out, bring them, bring them, bring them forward. And I think it is going to be really, really important for us to do a good job today, tomorrow, this week, next week, one day at a time, every day, I'm going to make a decision to overcome these habits and these struggles that I have to choose temporary pleasure that leads to longer-term destruction. And so I think we need to get into a place first. One, we acknowledge that. Two, we trust God. And three, we're going to lean into God for his help and his encouragement in that. And so Paul, this is what he's telling them. I mean, there's a particular struggle with sexual immorality, and we could at a different time go into what that probably specifically meant for their situation. But to me, in this moment, it's more, more important for me to encourage you to think about what does that mean for you? What are the ways that you're doing damage to yourself that in this moment, in this moment of stress when those things would be most likely to come out, what are some ways that I can honestly and with trust in God begin to put those things down? So he continues on. Uh, he continues on in verse 9 of chapter 4 and brings up another encouragement, but with it also a concern. Verse 9. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet, we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. And so again, the, the, the structure of this with Paul, is, it's incredible. I love it. So verse 9, he says, Now about your love for each other, what does he say? We do not need to write you. We don't need to talk to you about this. So about your love for each other, we don't, we don't need to say anything to you about this. And you'll notice that the, uh, the sentence doesn't end there. I mean, it's like, hey, about love, I don't really need to say anything. And then he just goes on to another topic. He doesn't go on to another topic. We don't need to say anything. But he says, hey, I don't need to mention this to you because you know already. And that's a total, that's a total dad move, right? That's a total dad move. He's like, now, about this thing that you're doing, now, I know I don't have to tell you what you're supposed to do because I think you know it already. That's a dad move. That is an elementary school teacher move. I mean, you guys... You guys know the rules that are on the board here, don't you? Of course you do. You don't need me to repeat these to you. Certainly not number three. You know, I mean, and so he goes with that, just kind of with this emphasis, I think, to just kind of, kind of hit him. I mean, he has been telling them. He has been encouraging them. You are doing this pretty well. But at the same time, there are some things that you're not doing well. And so you need to be doing, you need to be loving people. You've been doing, you know, you've been doing it here about Macedonia, I urge you to do it a, a little bit better. And so he's encouraging them. He's encouraging them that they're, that they're doing it, that they've been doing it. But there's another level that you need to go to. And so in addition to making sure that we understand that we're living to please God, not to earn anything, and that we need to live pure, but then we also need to love well. We need to love well. And so he's, he's describing this. Is like he, he, he says a couple of things that I think that can give us some clues 
as to what they were particularly struggling with. And so you need to do it more and more. You need to make sure that you live a quiet life and you should mind your own business and do your jobs. And so I think we can get a picture here. It's like who, who needs to hear that message? Live a quiet life and mind your own business. And so again, these, these are people who are just a little bit overly concerned about what somebody else is doing. And when you add in this thing where he says, um, mind your own business and work with your hands, it's like, it seems like that there are probably some people out there with, with really talkative mouths, really uh, gossipy mouths, really jealous eyes, looking at what other people are doing and looking at what other people are having, and it's causing them a level of frustration, uh, discomfort, anger, sadness, jealousy, envy. And they're just looking around, and rather than focusing on making sure that they're doing the right thing, they're looking at other people and saying, what's happening over there is not fair. What, what they're doing is not good. And what he's saying is, you should be quiet uh, and, and, and mind your own business, and, and, and you do what's right. And so this was just kind of another level of love for them. I think there was this sense in which... They were loving each other well. They were caring for each other well. But at the same time, they still had this thing where they're just kind of looking out and, and, and getting frustrated about maybe that somebody else's situation is different or better than theirs in a way that they think is unfair. And I think what, what Paul's great encouragement here is you need to focus on what it is you need to be doing. And if we're going to love well, that's what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to make a decision to say, I'm going to focus on the thing that I need to do, on what God has called me to do. I am going to love people well, and I'm not going to be worried or thinking or be concerned at all about what somebody else may or may not be doing. I'm just going to, I'm going to live a pure life. I'm going to be who God's called me to be. And I am going to love well the people that God has put in my life. Now, one of the things that I've been doing over the course of the last week is um, I, Heidi and I kind of switch out on the, the, the self-quarantine. We'll self-quarantine um, at the house, and one of us probably at least once a day during the week will come and self-quarantine here in the lobby. So still, still keeping all the, the practices, but you know, taking turns just kind of getting out of the house a little bit so we can do some, do some work at home in a more peaceful environment. And so I'll be up here for a few hours at a time. And there's a few things I've noticed that I, that I just love. And um, in, a, in, a, in a relatively short period of time, I see a lot of cars come up here. And it's you guys coming up to our food pantry and, um, and just making sure that you went out to get groceries and you're taking some. And you're making sure you're putting some in that pantry. And every time I see it, it just is uh, a moment of encouragement for me. Uh, just to see that you guys are thinking and loving other people well. But the thing that really is more overwhelming to me is the number of people that are coming up to that food pantry in a relatively short amount of time uh, to make withdrawals. In one two-and-a-half-hour window, five different people came. And um, there's a lot of need out there. And I think sometimes when we think about people who are in need or people who don't have, like, again, sometimes we can, we can have a judgmental attitude. Um, or we think um, 
when I, when I give you an encouragement about, hey, it'd be really good for you to make sure that you're taking steps like that to help the hurting, it's easy for us to think about other people that maybe should be doing that or other organizations that should be doing that or the government is supposed to be doing that or whatever. But the reality of it is, this is what God has called us to do. Our community is, is hurting. Our community is struggling. And we have an opportunity to love well. And I see you guys doing that. And it brings me a lot of joy, too, to get onto uh, Facebook and see all the kind of different porch swaps of things that are going on, whether it's swapping puzzles or movies or uh, we even had the opportunity now, we, we, we packed up our DVD player with some movies that aren't on any streaming services and gave them to another family and hoping that that gets passed around for a while and that people can enjoy that. Um, seeing people leaving meals and food on other people's porches and doing all sorts of things to just say, I want to, I want to show you a little bit of love. The texts that we get, the, the video chats that we're doing, just people just reaching out saying, I just want to see you. And I just want to know that you're okay. There are so many things that you can do throughout the day from giving things away to letting people borrow things to just sending a text, to sending a picture, sending an encouraging video, um, loving somebody on, on some social media. To go above and beyond and say, I want to show you a little bit of love today. And as I sit and I think about um about what it is you're all going through. You know, sometimes it makes me tired, sometimes it, it just really it really it really weighs on me. I like uh, my my anxiety kicks in, my my fear kicks in and I start to worry. But here's the thing, just kind of like with Paul, we talked about this last week. I get to see these things and I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged about the way that you guys are loving each other. I'm encouraged with you, with, with, with the way that you're thinking and processing this. The way that it seems like that people are experiencing a new level of openness and honesty about what's really going on in their heart. And here's the thing that I believe. I believe that you will come out of this stronger than who you were when you went into it. Of course, there's going to be some stress. Of course, there for many of us, there's going to be a lot of financial repercussions. And there's nothing that we can do about that right now. There's very, you know, we can't, we can't plan for uh, what the future is going to hold. We don't know how long this is going to go on. And we don't know what the state of things are going to be when it comes back. But here's the thing that I believe regardless. You will be stronger. Regardless of your finances, regardless of what's going on in the world, you will be stronger. Because I believe that you are going to take this opportunity as stress continues to kind of overwhelm you, that you're going to do the right thing with it. You're going to give it in peace. You're going to give it to God. You're going to give up the old habits. And you're going to look instead to only God. I'm not going to do the things that give me temporary satisfaction. I'm going to do the things that connect me with God. And I believe that this is going to increase your love and commitment to be a loving person to your friends, to your family, and to your community. And at the end of this, one week, two weeks, three weeks, who knows, however many weeks, however long this goes on, God is going to do something incredible in you. If we make this commitment right now to say, 
I want to live a life that is pleasing to Him. I'm going to trust Him about what is appropriate for me, and I'm going to live pure. And then I am going to love people well. Let me pray for us.